Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hello and welcome to the show. Today we have our guest is Matt Pacheni. He's a friend of mine and a repeat guest here on the DJE podcast. Uh, Matt's a great guy. He, he walks us through his whole story, his background, how he got into real estate, how he got into multifamily, and even to the point of writing a book about it called Backstage Guide to Real Estate, uh, which is kind of chronicling his life and his story and also teaching you about multifamily in the, in the same, uh, at the same time. So lots of great content in his book. I was fortunate to get an advanced copy of that and I enjoyed it. Um, so we talk about that. We talk about the book and his story. I think there's going to be a lot of nuggets in there for you as a passive investor or an aspiring operator, or just somebody that likes to likes to get into things on multifamily investing. Um, we had a great conversation. Before we jump in, if you are not currently on the DJE investor list, seeing our upcoming projects and you want to be, just go to the website, djetexas.com, also linked in the show notes here. And you can set up a call with our team. You can get access to look at future projects, all that fun stuff there. Secondly, if you are an aspiring operator and you want to go out and buy and run these deals like we do and like lots of other operators do, we created apartmenteducators.com for just that. And our students uh, are closing big deals, multi, you know, hundreds of units of deals. We've got lots of success within, within the group there. And we all help each other out with each other's deals. And it's a great community to be a part of if you're looking to get on the operator side and go take one of these deals down or a few of these deals down um, on your own or with your own team. Go to apartmenteducators.com to check that out. Okay, without further ado, let's jump in to the interview with my friend, Matt Pacheni. Here we go. Matt, welcome. It's great to see you again. How are you? I'm great, Devin. It's great to be back uh, on your show. Thanks. Yeah, a repeat guest here. And so appreciate you jumping back on. Since we spoke last, uh, I, I want to catch up on all the business stuff, on the book, everything. Uh, before we get into that, maybe just kind of let's walk it back for, for the audience, um, you know, and, and, and let's hear a little bit about your story, you, you know, and how you came to real estate, like a lot of us kind of came, came to real estate in one form or another, specifically multifamily. What did that look like for you? Well, for me, it started way back in 2001. <clears throat> Excuse me. For me, it started way back in 2001. I was, I had my own digital marketing firm and we used to, uh, you know, do website development and things like that. But as you'll probably remember back in 2001, the whole dot-com world was imploding. And <clears throat> so was my business. It was not doing well. And um, it was just ha so happened at that time when a lot of my clients, <clears throat> it just so happened that at that time when a lot of my clients were going out of business, my landlord came to me and said, Hey, uh, you got 90 days to get out of your apartment. Right. So I was, Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? You know, I was living in New York city. How am I going to find a place in New York with basically no job and, and a business that's failing. Um, I ended up 
going in-house at one of my clients, Showtime, the cable channel, offered me a job in-house. So I went in there and I found a place to live. But instead of renting, I actually bought a place. I wanted to rent on the Upper West Side, but my sister was living way, way, way uptown uh, in, in an area called Washington Heights. And she saw on a bulletin board a sign for an apartment for sale, a co-op. And I ended up buying a place. Uh, two and a half years later, I ended up selling that place and quadrupling my initial investment. And that's when the light bulb went off, ding, ding, you know, whoa, this real estate thing is really powerful. How can I do that again? Yes. That's what started me on the path of real estate. You know, fast forward about 10 years past that, I was doing um, some real estate on the side as a hobby uh, beyond just a primary residence, but uh, my wife ended up, you know, I ended up moving a couple of times, getting married, having a kid. My wife got a really cool job opportunity in Miami. And when we moved down to Miami, that was a little over six years ago. That's when I transitioned from real estate as a hobby to real estate as something that I was going to do full time. And that's also when I made the transition from the more single family duplex world into the large multifamily. I love it. You know, I, I had similar experience many, many years ago with a house where, you know, it was a, my first rental house and the amount of equity, what I was like, how come nobody showed me how to do this? You know, when I was in high school, it wasn't that hard. I just hadn't been exposed to it. And I had the same exact thought as you, boy, that this is like doing way better than whatever I'm doing at my job, <laughs> working a lot. And uh, how can I do more of these? How can I get a few more of these houses? And that was just the, that was the gateway drug. I mean, it just, uh, <laughs> it works. And sometimes, you know, you accidentally fall into it. So what was the catalyst for you getting, because that's a big jump to go from the single family stuff or, you know, kind of accidental landlord or whatever the case is to these larger multifamily projects. I know you're involved in today. What, what was that catalyst to, to switch tracks like that? That's a big jump. That happened when right after the move and I decided that I wanted to do real estate full time, my initial plan was do fix and flips and then either cherry pick some of those for buy and holds, depending on what the metrics look like, or purchase some buy and holds, which I did, you know, like through a turnkey provider, or through some other method. And um, it became evidently clear to me um, once I dug into it a little bit more that that wasn't necessarily a plan that was very sustainable for me and the, the type of lifestyle that I wanted and, and my strategy, because, you know, getting that 30 year fully amortizing mortgage is fantastic and makes the numbers look great on these deals. But once you get past those, you know, you're, you're limited to 10 of those. Once you get past those 10 conventional mortgages, you have to look at commercial financing. It didn't make as much sense to me. And also I was doing properties outside of where I was living at the time. I, I had moved to Miami. I had lived in New York, uh, thought that we would probably be back in the Northeast, which which we ended up doing. I'm, I'm actually back in, in Brooklyn, New York now, but I was probably going to have to do this out of state anyhow. That was number one. Number two, for me, to find a deal is hard, um, especially uh, you know when I was looking to flip properties. 
you've got all these great shows on HGTV and elsewhere and everyone and their mother thinks they can flip properties. And so there's steep competition because everyone's getting involved. A lot of people are overpaying and, and they were back then and they still are for a lot of these properties, which makes it difficult. And I thought, gee, the amount of time that I need to actually find and acquire these deals and the velocity in which I would need to acquire them, I would need to do, you know, one or two every month to sort of replace the income that I had been making previously in my regular W-2 job, where, look, if I do the multifamily thing, I didn't know this at the time, so, but, but ultimately... And and I'll back up to that in a second. But ultimately, if I did the multifamily thing, if I stacked up a couple of these one or two every year after a couple of years, I have several, you know, those those deals last, you know, five years long where a flip lasts three to six months, maybe nine months. Right. So it made a lot more sense from that perspective. Um so, so that was that was really why I, I transitioned. I had always wanted to go bigger and do larger scale things. I just had no capital. I had bought a townhouse in Brooklyn. Uh, I shouldn't say no capital, but a limited amount of capital. I bought sure. a townhouse in Brooklyn. We, uh, two family, one of the units was rented. We lived in the other one. We were making our mortgage payments and the, the the rental was paying a vast majority of that mortgage payment. So I knew that if we ever moved out, which we, we did when we moved to Miami, that I would be cash flow positive. So I was looking in Brooklyn for another townhouse to buy. The problem is townhouses in Brooklyn are in the seven figures. Right. So I would need a significant amount of capital on my own to take one of these down. So I was working my nine to five W2 job socking up money, figuring, well, in three, four five years, I'll have enough money to buy another one. Um, when I was in Miami and doing real estate full time and spent deep diving, listening to podcasts, reading books, learning about it. And there was a lot less podcasts back then as there are now. Sure. There were none that I was aware of that were talking only about multifamily, but I did come across a guest on a podcast mentioned something about syndication. And I started to figure out who that guest was and started listening to their show. Once in a while, they would talk about syndication where a lot of investors, I'm sure all your listeners know this, can pool their money and their resources together to get these larger properties. And I was like, oh, wait a minute, I can do that. That's interesting. Maybe going down that road would make more sense. And that's the path I ended up following. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you for walking us through that. It's, uh, it's a business model that's been around for a long time, but um, I mean, we, we talk about it a lot because you and I you know, are in this world. We talk to investors all the time, but most people out there with investable capital don't even know this vehicle exists or they don't know how to get into it. And then on the, you know, on the general partner or operator side, uh, same thing. It's like, God, these are such big deals. I struggled with that many years ago. It's like, I just couldn't fathom you know, owning something that took up five acres and was like hundreds of units. It was just crazy. It took me a little while to acclimate to that idea, but through the proliferation of podcasts and, and other things, conferences, you kind of get networked and you realize, Oh, there's some like-minded people like me out there. They're regular folks. They figured out a way to, to do it. 
um, it's exciting. I love seeing people make that transition and, 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 you know, move over to the, to the big side, um, or, you know, what Robert Kiyosaki's board game is, is like the, the cash flow one-on-one or whatever it is, is kind of the houses and stuff. And then you kind of graduate to the 201 where it's this commercial property. So that's exciting. Um, let's shift gears a little bit, Matt, and talk about the book. Um, the genesis of that, the impetus behind it, what the writing process was like post-launch. I, I want to know all about it. I've, I've never pu- written or published a book. Um, and I love what you've done with that. So ha- walk us through that. How did, how did that come together? Sure. Whatever you think the amount of work is to, to, to do a book um, is probably more because it was for me. I had heard no... That. idea. I still, I heard people say it, but I just, I didn't, I didn't realize until I really got in the thick of it. What happened for me, I was, I ran a meetup in Boston. So I I just moved back to New York. I was in in Boston for four years. We had a meetup. It got very, very popular. We would have over a hundred people at every event. And a lot of them owned smaller multifamily properties in the area. It was strictly a multifamily meetup. And over time, um, I think we were educating people about you can invest out of state and you can invest with syndicators. And I think people started to get more comfortable with that idea. And people were in, started looking into syndications. Uh, me being somebody who, who ran the meetup, I think a lot of people sort of looked at me as, as sort of a thought leader in that community. And I sponsored some deals, you know, in multifamily, but most importantly, two thirds of my portfolio are deals I'm a limited partner in. So people came to me from the meetup and said, Hey, Matt, you you know, I'm looking at this deal. Would you look at it for me and tell me, you know, what, what you think about the deal? And I love helping people. So I would say, sure, not a problem. I'm happy to take a look at deals with people. I would never tell anyone whether they should or should not make an investment, but I could look at a deal with them and say, Hey, you know, I see, you know, that Devin, you know, put, you know, 2% rent growth here. Uh, You know, why, why is it so low? Like, isn't it, you know, maybe it's three, it should be 3% in that market, or maybe conversely, you know, you put 10% down and say, gee, that, that seems a little weird. Like, why would he put 10%? Maybe there's a reason, but you should talk with the sponsor and find out. Right. So I would talk about those types of things. Unfortunately, or fortunately, a lot of people wanted to do this and wanted my time to sit down and go through this with them, which I I loved doing, but it started to become a lot of my time when I needed to also be doing other things. So, you know, I I was trying to like, well, what do I do? Do I like, do I charge people like a consulting fee? And it just didn't feel right for me. And I said, well, gee, what if I write everything down? So that's what I did. I ended up writing down a, the first version of this book was like an 80 page, super dense, really boring, dry, but technically, you know, rich with, with content, uh, information on like how to analyze a deal. And it was like reading, uh, I'm trying to think of a good metaphor. It's probably like chewing cardboard, right? I mean, it was just, it was impossible to read. And so what I did was I took all of the things that I was trying to, to point out or teach, and I put them along the narrative of my life. Mm. 
And because I learned these things at different points in my life. Right. And so I, I tell the story really starting with the trans. It, there's a little backstory too, but really starting with that transition of moving to, to, to Miami. Well, that's where it starts. And then it goes back and then it goes forward, but teaching all of these things that I learned. So there's 60 different real estate definitions that are defined throughout the book with like a glossary at the end. Um, and then there's 18 keystone concepts that I share that, you know, as I learned them throughout the story. And the story is really interesting because, you know, I used to be an actor, then I worked in digital marketing, you know, we've invested in Broadway shows. So I, I have some interesting stories and fun stuff. So it's not like a boring textbook read, although it is educational. So I'm hoping it's entertaining. It starts off super easy, very beginner stuff about like, what is an asset and what is a liability? And by the end of the book, I'm doing air rights deals and 1031 exchanges. So it does get more advanced as you progress, just like I did in my career. Yeah, but and you're but you're framing that within the backdrop of the story of your life, which is really engaging uh, to to read it that way. And I think as humans, we're just wired for for stories, right? I mean, yeah, there's there's all these numbers you need to learn, and you've got to learn some of the nomenclature of the business, and that's all true. Um, but you're not just going to read a glossary 60 times and boom, got it. Right. So, but, but when you weave it in through the story of your life, it's much more compelling. Uh, I love, I love it. I love the approach. Thanks. I love the, the, the approach that you took there. Um, so how long was it from, you know, kind of first getting this set of content down on paper to, Hey, I've got a finished product here that you can buy on Amazon the entire process was almost two years. Yep. Um, but I think it could have been shorter. I'll walk you through some things. Um, I did that first initial version of the book, the 80 pager, uh, I think in March and April, uh, two years ago, uh, very quickly, I dictated it while pacing around in my backyard. Right. Um, and then I had, then it took several weeks to go through and Siri didn't do the greatest job sure. <laughs> fixing all the words. Yep. But uh, then I re redid the whole thing, um, rewrote it. And I, I completed that around um, the end of last year. So the end of 2020 um, is, is when I, I completed that. And then all of 2021 was going through the editing process. I had a bunch of things happening in my life. My father got sick and ended up passing away during the summer. And then because we probably would have launched right around then maybe. And then we moved to New York uh, in, in, in late August and my kids starting school. And so I wanted to make sure that the launch that I could give it the attention it needed. And then we got into the holiday season. <laughs> so it's in pre-order now. The official, it's doing really well, which I'm super excited about. The official launch date is February 9th. So I, what I would say to your readers, if they're interested in the book, get it before February 9th, because it's at a steep discount right now on Amazon. So, but if you look from starting March, two years ago to February 9th release, um, that's, that's the whole thing, but it, it, it would, it should have probably taken about six, six to seven months to go through the editing process and the book cover and the publishing and the layout. That was the, the hardest thing. I'm very particular. This is a, 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 um, habit. I think it's a good habit, but 
um, a habit that I picked up working in digital marketing for so many years. I had a creative director when I worked at Showtime. She would know, she would draw up the design. We would do websites, right? She would drop the design. She could look, I don't know how she did it. She could look at the, the computer screen and she would know if something is off by one pixel. Wow. She just had that attention to detail. And I picked up that from her. I can't do it as well as she did, but I'm very, very into the visuals. So when I got back the, the book, there's a lot of things in the book, um, like visual. The, the, there's photos, but each one of these keystone concepts is like a, a ticket. So I, like, I wanted to have some of these visual elements. So we had to like decide on the visual elements. And then I wanted them placed like... I wanted them spaced evenly in the tech, like a bunch of just like OCD kind of stuff. Sure. I'm really happy with the way the book looks though. It looks really great, super professional, but that maybe made it take more time than maybe most people. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's very important though, because it's, it's very authentically you, which is very important. Yeah. And it's, it's a topic that, um, you know, that's out there in a variety of formats, but, you know, text, audio, video, whatever the case is. And a lot of the concepts are kind of this, the same, but to, to be able to put it in an engaging way, that's very authentically you, I, I think that was hundred percent the, the, the right move. And I think the the results of the book bear that out. So I, I love it. You know, it's, it's, Thanks. um, it's easy to, I think maybe easier to take a dry approach. That's more definitions and flexing your knowledge, but I'm, you know, I'm glad you took the time to, to, to painstakingly do all the things that you did. Cause now you've got an, you then result of something that you, you can be proud of and, and share for, for years to come. Right. Well, yes, Devin. And, and the other thing, which is the byproduct of this, which was not something that I expected at all. Um, I got really clear mm. on like who I am hmm. and what my goals are and what my values are. Like I knew those things, but I think going back through the story of my life and really figuring out, like, I never realized what the whole impetus. So I, you know, I try to uh, approach everything with a win-win approach and try to make things better for the residents as well as the investors, you know, right. not running a charity here, but I think that you can do well by doing good. I think you can be an ethical business person. And I, I know you feel that way too. Absolutely. Um, and, but for me, it really came from the Broadway musical Rent. So the, the bad guy in Rent is this evil landlord. And yep. when I first was, when I had that 90 days to get out of my apartment and find a place to live and started contemplating just like ownership of land and property. And what does that mean? I thought like, does the landlord have to be a bad guy? Like, why can't a landlord be a good guy? You know, and that's what I try to do with my business is, you know, we're really trying to, um, you know, change the, the, the thought behind property ownership and make property ownership a positive for communities. And, and I think it can be done. It's something I've, I've written about in, in Fast Company and Forbes and, and something that I think is important. I think landlords get a really bad rap. 100% they do. And, and it, you know, it, it takes money to, to do these things, right? If we're going to mm -hmm. renovate and make it ultimately, you know, my goal and your goal as owners is to make this a very attractive place to live. It's a free market. People can live wherever they want. And so you, you got to kind of entice people in by making it nice. And there's all kinds of ways we do that, but that, that costs money. And I think that approach is maybe 180 degrees from some of the deals that we buy. 
which is good. That creates opportunity. So, I mean, you know, that's, that's out there, but there's certainly no shortage of slumlords out there in the world that are just starving a property for expenses. And you kind of see the properties go in this death spiral. Not that every owner is a slumlord, but um, you know, it takes a vision and some capital to do it, but it absolutely can be done the right way. And to your point, when you do it the right way, everybody wins. Owners win, investors win, community wins, whole nine yards. Yep, I agree. So that's exciting stuff. I want to touch on something, Matt, because you've lived in New York. You've lived in Boston, uh, Miami. I don't know as much about Miami, but I'm going to venture to guess based on what I've seen, you know, New York and Boston, not places you're just going to go buy a multifamily garden style class B 80s deal and have it make money. So you've done a lot of investing in other markets where you don't uh, live. How, you know, how has that gone for you? Are there certain skills or tips you've picked up on over the years doing that, that maybe you could share with somebody that might be in a similar situation or contemplating that? Well, um, two thirds of my portfolio, as I mentioned earlier, are deals that I'm a passive investor in. Sure. That is a great way for me to be able to diversify my real estate holdings into different markets. If, and this is the big if, I can find a sponsor in that market that I, what, what's the cliche that I know, like, and trust, right? There it is, Someone- yeah. Someone yep. that 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 I've gotten to know and that I trust them. Like if I wanted to buy something in San Antonio, I'm talking with you, Devin. I mean, I know you do a bunch of stuff there. I know you. I like you. You got a great track record, right? You're not sure. just some guy who's just flying by the seat of his pants. And I would I would talk with you about that. So I think and and I have different people in different markets that I would go to. It takes a while to meet those people, to vet those people, yes. make sure that they know what they're doing and know how to run a deal. It's one thing to underwrite a deal. It's another one to actually operate the property. 100%. Um, and these these are all things actually, by the way, that I that I talk about in the book. The, the back section of the book is really the book's really for passive investors. Um, the the back portion of the book. It's called the Backstage Toolbox. It has questions that you can ask because uh, I, I, I look at deals from three ways. I look at the sponsor, I look at the market, and I look at the deal itself. So it has questions you can ask and things to look for. And then it gets into some nitty gritty metric stuff um, for, for the nerds like myself out there. <laughs> and right. um, so that, you know, it, it's, I had no choice when I started. I lived in New York City. The first investment property that I bought was in Connecticut. Um, it was a two-hour drive because trying to find an investment beyond a, a primary residence situation in New York City is a, is a massive challenge. Sure. So I was forced to go out of state on my first invest, you know, first uh, true investment property. And from there, it's just everything was it was just always out of state. Same thing in Miami, the prices are, are crazy in Miami as well. So Miami, Boston, New York, all of those prices are just not really positioned for an investor who is looking to grow their wealth and have cash flowing property. Those markets tend to be more for if someone maybe wants to preserve their wealth. I think Boston is an amazing wealth preservation real estate market. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, more than New York and Miami, I think is very, tends to be very speculative. All of them are though, to a certain extent, speculative because most of these places, if you're going to buy something, you're going to be lucky if you're cash flowing. Right. 
And then if you have an event like COVID or any, any unforeseen turn in the market, and maybe you have to lower your rents or do some concessions, you may have to take money out of your pocket every month to make that debt service payment for a year or two or five, right? I mean, it could, who knows? And so for that, from that perspective, um, they just make me nervous to invest in them. But if you can find the right deal in them, they're great markets. Sure. Yeah. Obviously lots of people agree and live there. So clearly, <laughs> you know, there's, there's some attractive uh, components there, but you know, I like what you said about finding and building the team and the relationships that takes time, but Multifamily, unlike the kind of single family route that a lot of us are familiar with, is, is a team sport. It's a cliche, but there's such big deals. There's kind of a there's kind of a spot for everybody on the bus on these multifamily deals. When you buy in a $20 million building, a lot of times it's not just one guy or gal out there doing it. It it takes it takes a small team to to run these things. And so you can participate in that in various ways. And you can be diversified geographically, diversified with different sponsors. And the model is kind of the same, you know, whether you're doing it in San Antonio or Dallas or, or Atlanta or whatever the case is, you know, the space we play in and a lot of stuff that I know you play in is it's like 1980s kind of hundred plus unit stuff. It's, it's fairly straightforward, but it's that meaty part of the bell curve too, on where most of the population is, you know, wanting housing product and there's a shortage of it. So once you learn the model and learn the concepts in your book, you can kind of apply that nationally. Um, and, and the game is not a whole lot different in these, uh, in these different areas. Um, so what would you say, Matt, to that, you know, you mentioned passive investors earlier. We talked about how, you know, most of the people in America with investable capital are not even aware that these vehicles exist. What do you say to that person who's maybe exploring the idea of investing passively, but hasn't done it yet. Sorry, Devin, I, I didn't quite get the whole question because it, it cut out. What yeah, do just I... you know, if you um, if, if can you hear me? Yeah, I can. So, what would you say to that person that's exploring a passive investment but hasn't done it yet, and they're trying to kind of wrap their head around that? What What do you say to that person? I think it's important to get some knowledge, you know, whether it's a, a podcast like this one or or a, a book, uh, to get some knowledge, vet that sponsor, you know, vet the market and the deal. I think you got to take the plunge at some point. Mm, at, at some right. point, you're going to have to just go for it. And and I remember my first time I invested passively in a deal, and it it was a it was a fifty thousand dollar check. And that was a lot of money for me. <laughs> it sure. still is, you know? Sure. So that was, and luckily it was someone that I had gotten to know, became friendly with, felt comfortable with them, took a look at the deal, took a look at the underwriting. Um, guess what? The deal didn't go very well. Uh, first one out. I, I didn't, I didn't lose money. <clears throat> There's a whole chapter in the book about it. Cause I learned so much from it. It was a great learning experience. We, we ended up making a little bit of money, so that was good, but I didn't, I thought we were going to lose it all. Um, but, uh, you know, it was, it was a ride, but it, it was worth, it was, it, it, it was a good experience. These people were very, very new, which is why I think it makes sense to go with someone, at least on your first deal, you know, as a passive investor, someone a little more experienced. I, I, I'm all for giving the new guy a shot, 100%. I used to be a new guy. You used sure. to be, everyone starts sure. somewhere, but um, maybe on the first one, go with someone with a little bit of a track record, I think is, is, a, is, a, is a good 
good way to start, but you, you're, you just, you have to go for it. You, the one thing I'll say, I've heard this said before by many other people, and I would say the same thing. They say, if you ask real estate investors what they would have done differently, they all say, I would have invested more and I would have invested earlier. Sure. And that's how I feel. I was talking yesterday with a guy who's 23 years old, who's just starting to invest in multifamily. And I, I said to him, wow, I wish when I was 23, I would have known about it and started investing in it. Because by the time he's my age, I can't even imagine where he's going to be. It's right. great. He's got a good W-2 job. He loves his W-2 job, but wants to invest in real estate. I think it's phenomenal. And I think the sooner you can do it, the better off you're going to be in the long run, as long as you're making sure that you're getting involved in the right deals. I love it. I love it. That's uh, that's good advice. Um, Matt, let's do a handoff to the audience here on uh, the book title, where they can find it and how they can connect with you. Backstage Guide to Real Estate is the name of the book. And you can get Backstage Guide to Real Estate at any place that books are sold. Excellent. But the best place to probably go is to my website, pacheni.com, because I have a link to the book. I have a blog there where I have lots of information, a very informative newsletter that we send out. And so Pacheni is spelled P like in Peter, I-C-H-E-N-Y, pacheni.com. And I'm sure you'll probably put that in the show notes somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. We'll link to that in the show notes. Check it out. Matt has a great site, a great book. Uh, if you're looking to learn more about this business, it's this is a it's a fun read. It's an engaging read. There's the content in there, which is important. You have to get it, but it's written in a way that it's it's digestible, and I think it just hits your brain a little differently when it's when it's crafted through a story like like Matt has done. So kudos for getting that done. And we'll link to that in the show notes. And Matt, thank you for joining us again. I wish you a great year ahead and continued success, sir. Thanks. I, I wish the same to you. A happy new year and continued success. And thanks for having me on the show. All right. Catch up soon. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.